Well, welcome to church, everybody. You guys picked a a great week to come to church because today we are starting our summer series called At the Movies. And in this blockbuster series over the next five weeks, um, we're hopefully going to have a lot of fun, but also our hope is that this is going to be a time that is really, really impactful in the lives of our people as we're going to be unpacking some of Hollywood's biggest hits over the years. And we're also going to be really looking at some spiritual core truths from the Word of God, and we're going to look at how they kind of relate to some of the themes from some of these hit movies and see how it can impact both our lives personally, but also our entire church community as well. Now, to start this thing off, um, I'm going to begin by looking at what has really been my favorite movie of the summer. Um, In fact, it's been my favorite movie um, since the pandemic started. It it may be my favorite movie in the past decade, in the past 10 years. And I know that's saying a lot. I know I'm putting the bar pretty high this morning. But here's the deal. For those of us uh, who've been around the sun at least uh, 35 or more times, how many of you are 35 years or older in the room right now? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a lot of us in here. Um, Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you make me feel old, all of our middle school, high school, college students in here. But those of you who've been around the sun 35 or more times, one of the touchstone cinematic experiences of the 1980s was Paramount Pictures' iconic patriotic portrayal of American daredevil naval aviators in the film Top Gun, which was released May 16th, 1986. And and Top Gun was the movie that really cemented Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer's legacy as like megawatt heartthrob movie stars as they lit up the screen going at Mach 2 with their hair on fire in F-14 fighter jets as the characters Maverick and Iceman. And this summer, after a ton of delays and pushbacks because of the pandemic, the sequel we thought was never going to happen, Top Gun Maverick, hit theaters with Cruz and Kilmer reprising their roles, and it, it has already made over a billion dollars, that's billion with a B, worldwide. And, and in my humble opinion, it's better than the original. I think it's better than the original Top Gun. As I told you guys uh, earlier, I, I think it's the best movie that I've probably seen in 10 years. And, and if you didn't make it to our kickoff for this At The Movie series where we did our movie night uh, down over at Apple Cinema on Tuesday and you didn't get a chance to see it and you don't really know the story, um, I'm going to take a couple minutes to kind of give you the cliff notes without ruining it for you so you still have a chance to enjoy it later, okay? And I've seen it four times already and uh, I just want you to know I am not a person, you can ask my wife, I am not a person who enjoys seeing a movie more than once. There are very few movies that I will watch more than once. I just enjoyed it that much. Um, So here's the premise of the movie. After 30 years in service since the original film, Pete Maverick Mitchell is still a captain in the U.S. Navy. A highly decorated and honored captain, but still just a captain nonetheless. And it is highly suggested that like in the first film, Maverick has not been promoted up the ranks because he is still an obstinate troublemaker and he doesn't want a desk job. He just doesn't want that role like his best buddy Iceman who has now become an admiral in the Navy. 
No, Maverick just loves to fly. That's what he loves to do. And he will do anything, literally anything, to stay in a cockpit. That's where he feels most like himself. That's where he feels authentic. That's where he feels alive. Of course, his attitude and varied choices haven't necessarily earned him many friends in the military other than his buddy Iceman. And lots of people in the Navy would like to see him, you know, pack his reckless, order-ignoring ways into a small bag and leave their military as soon as possible. The problem is Maverick is very, very gifted at what he can do as a pilot, and he gets results. And so they order him back to the Top Gun program that he left years before, a program that is designed to train the cream of the crop Navy pilots. And there he's given just three weeks just three weeks to teach a group of ace pilots what amounts to an impossible mission. How impossible, you ask? Fly through a narrow winding canyon at up to Mach 9 speeds at about 100 feet off the ground over a mountain to hit a target a few feet wide, impossible. And the story that unfolds is one that is captivating and awe-inspiring and amazing. And what I want you to understand, church, today is this, that the story that God has for your life is even more captivating and awe-inspiring and amazing. That's the big idea of what we're going to be talking about today, that God has an incredible story for your life, a story that, that he is continuing to write and a story that would just blow your mind and is just beyond your imagination. And my hope in our time together today would be that that this message would be an encouragement to you, and it would also give you some practical tools as you begin to pursue the story and the calling that God has placed on your life and in your heart. Because if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, according to the scriptures, you are called to be a leader for God. You are called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and I want to preface today's message by saying this, that that today's message, I'm really going to be focusing a lot on those of you who consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, okay? That's really where I'm directing a lot of what I'm talking about today. But if you're joining us today and you're not a Christian and, and you're kind of still kind of figuring out and and seeking what you believe about Jesus and God in the Bible. First of all, um, we are all so, so glad that you're joining us today, whether live or whether you're online. And I want you to know that you can apply some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today. Some of it is very practical, and you can apply it, and it will bless your life as well. I just want you to know that because God also has a calling for you. And God also has an incredible story and an incredible plan and incredible desire for your life to accomplish great things. And I just want you to know that, that he loves you and he's inviting you from the smaller story of you to the bigger story that he has for you. But for those of you who are are Christians, who consider yourself followers of Jesus, God is calling you to great things. He is calling you to even impossible things for God in this world. 
The Apostle Paul said it like this in Ephesians 4. He said, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's what Paul said. And that's why we say all the time that we don't just want people here who are coming to church. We want people who realize that they are called to be the church in this world. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for people who, who want to partner together and say, you know what, we are the church. We are the body of Christ in this world. Now, if you're taking notes, there are two big thoughts that I want to talk about today. The two big thoughts that I think are critical for any godly leader, anyone trying to be a leader for God to grasp in order to start living out the incredible story that God has for them. Number one is this. Number one is this. You got to realize it's not all about you. Number one, you got to realize it's not all about you. I think there are two very dangerous and destructive thoughts in church world today that need to be challenged when we start talk about following our calling for God. And the first one is really this. The first one is this, that I've got to do it all. That I've got to take it all on my shoulders. I've got to do it all. And I think that's a ridiculous idea. I think it's absolutely ridiculous if you're trying to be a leader for God. If you feel like you've got to do it all, if you feel like you've always got to be in control and you can never take a break and you can never breathe and you can never share the load and trust other people around you to carry a load or trust God with the load, well, guess what, my friend? You have a very small vision of God. You serve a very small God if that's the case. And when we buy into that thinking, we stop relying on the presence and the power of God and his Holy Spirit in our lives, and we begin to rely on everything else other than God. See, God's got to be the foundation upon which everything else is built. Amen? So today I want to unpack this idea by, by looking at a story involving the prophet Elijah. And I, and I really, I like Elijah and I really love this story about Elijah. There's some great stories about Elijah in scripture. There, there's a story about him in 2 Kings 2 where um, 42 teenagers start heckling him and making fun of him and calling him baldy. And, and he curses them and two bears come out of the woods and like maul the teenagers I believe this is the first description of student ministry found in the Bible. I think Pastor TJ wants this to be the theme story of Fuse Student Ministry. I think that's his plan. But, but there's another interesting story. There's another interesting story with Elijah found in 2 Kings 6. And it tells about when Israel was at war against the king of Aram. And I want to read it to you really quick. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along with me. Um, we'll also put it up on the screen as always. But it's found in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. And here's what it says. It says, now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in, in such and such a place. Well, the man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by Elisha, the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king. He warned the king of Israel so that he was on his guard in such places from the attacks of the enemy. 
And so God keeps telling Elisha all the plans that the king of Aram and the Arameans have. And Elisha keeps telling the king of Israel. And the king of Aram, he starts to get ticked off. I mean, he starts to get angry. He starts to get frustrated. Check out verse 11. It says, this enraged, enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and he demanded of them, tell me which one of you, which one of you is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But it's this guy, Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go and find where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men to capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. So the king sent horses and chariots and a strong force. He sends an army there. And they went by night and they surrounded the city. So at first, the, the king of Aram thinks he has a spy in his own camp. And he questions his officers. He's trying to find who's the rat, who's the mole among my officers who's telling the enemy all our secrets. But then he finds out that, no, it's not his, his inner circle. It's this prophet Elisha who sees everything, who hears everything, even what's going on in his own bedroom. And that really freaks him out. It scares him and it makes him mad. And so he sends an army to go get Elisha because he's tired of getting his butt kicked over and over and over again in battle and all his secrets being found out. Now, there are two big truths tied to this first point that it's not all about you. And so I want to unpack these two truths really quickly. So how do you get the focus off of you? If it's not about you, how do you get the focus off of you? Well, big truth number one is this. Instead of focusing on you, you focus on the presence of God. You focus on the presence of God. Isn't it funny that when you have somebody you love with you, oftentimes you're less likely to be scared? I mean, I, I see this with my kids all the time. I've got five kids my youngest, Lincoln, who ran up on the stage earlier, he's two, and um, he's an awesome kid. He's super active. He loves superheroes. He's really big into Spider-Man and Blue's Clues right now. He's very excited about his Blue's Clues birthday cake because he's turning three at the end of the month, and that's all he wants for his birthday is a Blue's Clues birthday cake. But he's a cool little kid, but he doesn't like being alone. I mean, even sitting in a pew by himself for 30 seconds, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like being alone in a bedroom, especially if it's dark. He doesn't like being alone in the dark. He'll start crying. But if I'm with him, or his mom's with him, or any of his four older siblings are with him, he's completely fine. I mean, he'll lay down at night, and he'll be like, Daddy, turn off the light. And he'll fall asleep in a couple minutes. And it's amazing that, that we're, we're all kind of a little bit the same way, aren't we? We don't get scared as much if we have somebody who's walking through something with us, especially if it's somebody we love and it's somebody that we trust. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be conscious of the presence of God because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much work we do, it doesn't matter how hard we serve, nothing significant happens without God. Nothing. And what's really convicted me in this text is that it's amazing to me sometimes how unaware I am 
of the presence of God. And I think the awareness of the presence of God is critical if you want to be a godly leader. It's critical. Verse 15 says this. It says, when the servant of the man of God got up, this is Elisha's servant, got up in the morning and went out early, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Now, look this up. The Hebrew translation for oh no, my Lord is I just poop myself. Okay, that's, that's basically what it is. The servant was terrified. He got up to get his morning coffee, make his dunk and run. He walks out and he sees an army surrounding the city and he freaks out. He sees enemy forces everywhere. And he's thinking, I'm dead. My life is over today. We're dead meat. But the man he worked for, the prophet Elijah, stayed relaxed. I mean, he was completely chill, sipping his frappuccino or whatever. And the servant couldn't figure out why. And so Elijah says this in verse 16. Elijah says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, at this point, the servant was probably thinking, Elijah, have you lost your mind? Like, what, what are you talking about, Elijah? There's a flipping army. There's two of us. There's an army surrounding us. We're completely outnumbered. We're dead. What's in your coffee right now? Are you crazy, Elijah? But then Elijah prays this, verse 17. Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God opens the servant's eyes and gives him a glimpse of what Elisha could see, gives him a glimpse of the spiritual world, and he realizes that God's angels and warriors are everywhere around them, that they are not alone in this battle, that God was present, and he was present in full force. And just like that, just like that, his entire perspective changed. Well, one of the things that I've learned is that I need to be more aware of the presence of God in my life. T too often, um, I go through the week, and this is kind of the way I'm, I'm built. My mind is built very futuristic and strategic, and, uh, and I'm an achiever, and it's all about having a list of things to do and checking things off my list. Any of you like me, you make a list, you check it off, at least mentally, and you gotta go through it through the week, and you can't sleep at night if things aren't done. That's kind of the way that I operate. And I tend to kind of move through life like that. But, but what, what I've learned to realize, what I've learned to realize is that oftentimes I go through the week and I'm looking at all my tasks at church, at home, with the kids, in my marriage, and what I have to do and what I have to get done. And I totally miss out on the presence of God in my life. And if we want our church and if we want the people that we lead in life to focus on the presence of God, it starts with us. It starts with us. Our number one prayer as a follower of Jesus should be, dear God, make me aware of your presence today. 
What if we woke up every day, we got our shower in the morning, had our cup of coffee or whatever, and that was our morning devotion. That was part of our devotion. That was part of our prayer. God, make me aware of your presence today. If you want to see people in your life who you love get saved, come to know God, that's where it starts. Because who does the Bible say salvation belongs to? It says salvation belongs to the, to the Lord is what scripture says. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If God's presence is here, if we're aware of his presence, if we acknowledge his presence, if we receive his presence, people will get saved. They will. But we have to be a people who focus on God. And we've got to be ready and willing to pray big, bold, audacious prayers for God. Going back to our story, this is exactly what Elisha does in this story. Check out what he does next. He prays the biggest, boldest prayer in verse 18. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. We talked a little bit about this last week as we were wrapping up the, the Bless series, and we talked about Blessed are those who are persecuted. I think that one of the lies that we sometimes believe as Christians is that the more God's presence is with us, the less storms and spiritual warfare we'll face in life. When everything in the Bible suggests that the opposite, the opposite is actually true. Notice in this story, when Elisha and the servant become fully aware of the presence of God, then they're attacked. That's when they get attacked. We talked about this last week. Paul was fine when he was the Pharisee hunting and killing Christians. But he has a transformation in his life, and he starts following Jesus, telling people about Jesus, and planting churches around the Mediterranean Rim, and he gets shipwrecked, snake bit, beat up, and thrown in prison, right? If you start focusing on God and focusing on the presence of God, spiritual attacks will come. It's not a question of will they come, it's when will they come. And one of the biggest attacks that Satan uses is to try to get you to doubt and ignore the calling that God has placed in your life to be a leader for him. When you start to focus on God, make no mistake, spiritual attacks will come in your life. So how do you get the focus off you? Number one, you focus on the presence of God. Big truth number two with this is this. You focus on your unique calling and you pray boldly. You focus on your unique calling and you pray boldly. Um, Fifteen years ago, as a student pastor, I heard a speaker at a, a youth camp in Daytona Beach, Florida, who would later become a mentor of mine. And, and he said this phrase. He said, what would you do for God? if you knew it couldn't fail. What would you do for God if you knew it couldn't fail? And immediately, the thought that came into my mind and into my heart was that I would create a church focused on unchurched people. You see, I grew up a little Hindu Indian kid whose parents had immigrated over to the United States. I was the first in my family born in the United States. And I started to go to church in middle school 
at Melwood Church of the Nazarene in Southern Maryland because my best friend in middle school became a Christian. And he started inviting me to church over and over and over again. And he pestered me for over a year. And finally, he convinced me to go because he said he had cute girls in his youth group. And that was the tipping point for me. And a few years later, in December of 1990, as a freshman in high school, I gave my life to Jesus at a winter teen camp at Summit Lake Campground in Emmitsburg, Maryland. But not growing up in church, I was very, very aware of how church can feel to a non-Christian. And so when I became a Christian, I was on fire for God. I mean, I was in my high school telling all my friends about Jesus, and I was inviting people left and right to come to church. And guess what? Some of them actually said yes. Some of them were like, okay, we'll go to church with you. And initially, I was excited about it. And then I started thinking, I was like, row, row, shaggy. Now I have to take them to my church. And I thought, he's not a church person. She's not a church person. They're not going to have a clue what's going on because my church was designed for church people. And look, don't get me wrong. I went to a great Bible-centered church, had a wonderful, loving pastor. But it was a church that was really designed for church people. And isn't it true that when you invite somebody to church who's not a church person and they say yes, all of a sudden you look at church that Sunday completely differently. Like completely differently. You want your guests to feel welcomed. You want your guests to enjoy the music even if you hate the style of music. You're praying that the message that Sunday is going to be about Jesus and God's love and grace and salvation. You're like, big bucks, no whammies, big bucks, no whammies, big bucks, no whammies. Oh, he's preaching about money. Not a good week, right? But the gravitational pull in every church is this pull towards insiders, it always is. It's a pull towards insiders. The people who regularly come, they're the ones who complain. They're the ones who write emails. They're the ones who have problems. It's the natural tendency. The problem with that is that over time, the church can become hyper-focused on church people, which communicates a very subtle message to the outside world that perhaps the church is just for church people. And perhaps Jesus came just for church people. But none of us here believe that, right? No. We believe John 3.16 that says God so loved the what? The world. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Right? That's what we believe. So God placed in my heart during that experience a passion to reach unchurched people. So how about you? How about you? What has God placed on your heart? What breaks your heart? What's the thing that kind of keeps you up at night? What's the calling that he's given you? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, he's placed a calling in your heart. What would you do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? And once you identify what that unique calling is from God, then you need to start praying boldly about it. See, too often we have, we have weak prayers. 
What does Elijah pray in this account? Does he pray, dear God, please protect me and my servant and bless us and keep us safe while this enemy attacks? No. He prays a very bold and very specific prayer. He asks God to strike the army with blindness, and God answered his prayer. Let me ask you a question. Why don't we pray like that? Why don't we in our lives pray big, bold, highly specific prayers? Why don't we get so big and so bold and so specific with our prayers that when God answers them, there can be zero doubt in our minds that this is a work of God, that God did it. I didn't do it. God did it. What bold prayers are you praying right now in your life about your calling and about your church? What are you praying? I'll tell you what I pray. I pray that our church will one day impact thousands of lives for Jesus Christ in our communities. Well, that's crazy, Pastor. Just be happy with the people who come here. Let me clue you guys in a little bit about Maine if you didn't know this. We have 1.4 million people currently who live in the state of Maine. 70% are not part of any church community. 70% are not part of any church community. We are the most unchurched state in the entire United States of America. Did you know that? There are 1 million people who live around us family members, neighbors, co-workers, students, classmates that don't know the love of Jesus. Let me say that one more time. One million people. And guess what? Every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to our God. And I'll stop praying big, bold prayers when those million people know Jesus Christ as their Lord. Amen? And once they know Jesus, we can pray for the Canadians who visit Old Orchard Beach each summer, who are really jacked up, right? Too many Speedos and hairy backs out there. You guys warned me about that. You're like, hide your wife, hide your kids, Pastor. So in order to start living out the incredible story that God has for you, number one, you've got to realize it's not all about you. Thought number two, second point for today. Thought number two, preparation and perspiration positions you for success. Preparation and perspiration positions you for success. Now, just like there's this dangerous thought in church world that I've got to do it all myself and take it all on my shoulders, at the other end of the pendulum, is an equally dangerous way of thinking. And that thinking is this. Let go and let God. Let go and let God. And let me tell you something. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. When it comes to our role as followers of Jesus, let go and let God leads to laziness and a wasted life every time. Every time. And there are a lot of Christians, if I can just be frank with you today, there are a lot of Christians who are just plain lazy because they wrongly believe and fall into the trap of let go and let God. Now, is the work of God and his Holy Spirit necessary? Absolutely. Remember what our first point was. We said it's not all about you. 
But God's calling to be a follower of Jesus and to be a godly leader for him in this world takes effort. It takes effort. In Top Gun Maverick, you see the effort that Maverick and the other naval pilots put in to achieve this near impossible mission. The work, the sweat, the time, the energy, the training that they have to put in. It takes effort if you want to be a leader for God. Let's look at Elisha again and let's look at his effort, okay? He prays this big, bold, specific prayer, but then he doesn't just let go and let God. He does something. Let's check it out. Verse 19, picking up in verse 19. Elisha told them as the army came to him blinded, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. Now, I know this is the At The Movie series and this is Top Gun Maverick Week, but I've just got to point out that Elijah just pulled a Star Wars Jedi mind trick in Scripture, okay? George Lucas got it right here from the Bible. These are not the droids you're looking for. This is exactly what Elijah does to this army. And the army follows Elijah to Samaria where the king of Israel and his army are waiting for these guys. Like only God could do something like that, right? See, Elijah, though, he wasn't passive. He didn't sit back. When he experienced the power of God and God did a miracle and blinded this army, Elisha moved. He reacted. He did something about it. And because of that, Israel won an incredible victory. God wants to do something amazing through you, but he wants you to get involved in what he's doing. It's like the farmer who's planting seeds, right? Does the farmer then just walk away and pray and fantasize they're going to have a great crop? No. For those of you who have a garden, you, you know this. You work the ground. You water the seed. You pick the weeds so you can have a good harvest. And there are two big truths when it comes to preparation. Big truth number one is this. You need a mission in life. It goes back to this. It goes back to that idea of calling. You need a calling and you need a mission. When I arrived here in Maine, we literally spent the first entire year I was here as a staff and a leadership board just developing our mission and our vision as a church moving forward. And so if you don't know what it is, let me just enlighten you this morning because we love it and we believe in it and we will bleed for it. This is our mission statement as a church. We want to create experiences that light the way to a growing relationship with Jesus. At First Light, South Portland Church of the Nazarene, this is what we're about. We want to create experiences that light the way to a growing relationship with Jesus. We believe scripture when it says that you are the light of the world. As followers of Christ, we are the light of the world and we want to shine into our communities. In all of our environments, from our adult small groups to Sunday morning service to Lighthouse Kids to Fuse Student Ministry, we want to create experiences that light the way to a growing relationship with Jesus. This is what we're all about. A clear mission sets the stage and it prepares you for a movement of God. In Top Gun, Maverick knew that his calling, his mission in life was to be a pilot. 
There's this iconic moment in the film where he's dialoguing with his best friend, Iceman. And, and he says basically this. He, he, says, he says, Iceman, this is not just what I do, being a pilot. It's not just what I do, what I am. It's who I am. This is my DNA. This is who I am. That's how I feel, and that's how our church feels when it comes to the idea of reaching people for Jesus. It's our identity. It's who we're about. So again, what is the calling for you? What is the mission for you that God has placed in your heart? Big truth number two is this. You also got to realize it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Being a follower of Jesus and being a great leader for God in this world, it takes work and it takes effort, but you have to pace yourself. You have to take care of yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. You win and ultimately our entire church community wins when all of you guys, when all of us together are healthy. That's when we're really going to start winning as a church. So how do we establish that? Well, in our last few minutes, I'm going to give you really quickly some practical, practical ways. Number one, you establish a sustainable schedule in life. You establish a sustainable schedule. You should not constantly be going and going and going and going without any rest. Operating on a schedule like that gives you very, very little time to work on personal growth and personal development, especially in your walk with Christ. In church world, and I've been in church world as a leader for over 20 years, I have seen way, way, way too many leaders go guns blazing and then get fried and burnt out and hospitalized or worse, leave leadership, even leave the church, even leave their faith. And here's the, here's the deal. Your church needs you. We do. We need your unique gifts and talents and your leadership. I believe each and every one of you are here for a purpose. And together, again, we're the body of Christ. But in order to be an effective leader, you have to be healthy. You have to create margin in your life. In my life personally, as a pastoral leader, um, I, I want you to know, I typically do not preach more than 40 times in a given year. I don't. Why? Some people are like, Pastor, why don't you preach more often? Because I understand that our church needs my leadership and my health more than just my preachership. Here's the other thing I understand. I'm just not that good. I'm just not that good of a preacher. Most of you, if we quiz you on Tuesday, you wouldn't remember any of the points I gave on a Sunday morning by Tuesday. Unless I preached a message on hell and lit somebody on fire as an illustration. You might remember that, okay? But here's the other thing that happens. When you take time off as a leader, you start to develop other people as leaders. Do you know here in our church now, we have some amazing communicators who can get up here and preach when I'm off on vacation or I'm away, or even if I'm in the building. I mean, I can even go over. I've helped at children's ministry a couple times during the year, and I'm able to do that. Some churches struggle to find a communicator on a Sunday morning when the pastor's away because the pastor does everything, literally everything, and no other leaders are being raised up. 
And that's not healthy leadership, in my opinion. Number two, number two, we need to learn to connect with other leaders or mentors. We need to connect with other leaders and mentors. Nobody understands the challenges and the pressures that you face as a Christian leader than other Christian leaders. We need safe relationships in our life where we can be real, where we can share frustrations, where we can have people who celebrate our successes. Uh, my wife, Julie, and I, we have had couples in our life that love us and accept us, flaws and all, and, and it helps keep us sane. It really does. If you're trying to be a godly leader for Jesus, you need that. You need that in your life. You also need people who you can mentor. You need people in your life that you can pour into as well. One of the things that, that Pastor Nancy, our executive pastor, just does an amazing job with at our church is organizing our small group community. There are so many small groups in our church that you can plug into to start having more community and more accountability in your life. In just a couple of weeks, we're, we're going to hear some stories from some of them, and we're going to be launching groups again in just a few weeks in September. But we need people in our lives who are trying to walk the same direction as us, trying to follow God, if we're truly going to grow in our walk with Jesus. I'm so tired of seeing Christian leaders whose marriages fall apart. I'm so tired of seeing Christian leaders who have no relationship with their kids because they wore a mask of righteousness while sin destroyed them from the inside out and they just burnt out or they sacrificed their family on the altar of work or ministry. So who in your life are you connecting with? Who's mentoring you? Who are you mentoring? Who are you doing life with in community? Number three, learn to delegate. Learn to delegate. This one is huge. Some of us are just control freaks. And we've got to micromanage, we've got to control everything in front of us. You can only wear so many hats and spin so many plates. But doing everything yourself is unsustainable. If you want to be an effective leader for God, you have to learn to trust other people in your life, and you have to learn to delegate. I like to follow the 70% rule in my life. If I can find someone in my life who's willing to serve in an area, who has a passion for something, and they can do it 70% as well as I imagine that I could do it, I turn it over to them. I turn it over to them. And it might not go exactly the way I envisioned, but they're going to learn and they're going to grow and it's going to wind up being better than I envisioned. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying throw any available warm body into a role, okay? I've, I've told you guys this before. If we have someone in our church who dreams about punting small children, they will never serve in Lighthouse Kids in our church, okay? It's not going to happen. If you're somebody who never smiles and you always have a look on your face like you just walked down a hallway full of farts, you're not going to be in greeter ministry at our church, okay? That's not going to happen. We'll find another role for you. But when someone is a good fit with a calling and a passion in an area of service, we want to release them. And we want them to lead. So if you have a calling, you have a passion of something, let us know. I mean, we get excited about that when we hear that from people. We get excited. We want to release them. Our student ministry, Fuse, 
If you didn't know this, for middle school and high school students, it meets on Sunday evenings here, 4 o'clock. And I go, my kids love it, I go maybe once or twice a year. Why? Because I trust Pastor TJ and his amazing team of small group leaders to run that ministry. I fully trust them. Same thing with our worship team, with Pastor Jim Briggs and our worship team. I I trust them. You know, I I let them know in advance what our sermon series are going to be, what our topics are going to be. Sometimes I might have a suggestion for a song in a series, but most weeks, I don't know what they're playing until service starts, just like you guys. In order to effectively lead our church, I can't wear every single hat. Last one and then we'll pray. Number four, learn to disconnect. Learn to disconnect. You you need to develop an off switch in your life. And I'm telling you this from experience because I've struggled with this one in my life. You need to learn to develop an off switch. You need to have some healthy habits. You need to exercise daily. Eat healthy. Get a good night's sleep on a regular basis. If you're married, have date night with your spouse at least every month, if not every week. Without your phone, men, leave it at home. Well, pastor, you know, the economy and everything right now, we can't really afford a babysitter. They're cheaper than a marriage counselor. They're cheaper than a divorce attorney. And you can go on a cheap date. You can go to Sam's Club, get some free samples, walk around, sit in the car, turn on the radio. Date your spouse. My wife and I, Julie, we do two or three big vacations throughout the year. And several years back, about a dozen years ago, we made a decision after we hit a rough patch and we did some marriage counseling. We made a decision that one of those vacations every year was always gonna be just the two of us without the kids. And we've been doing that faithfully. One vacation a year, just the two of us. And it's amazing. Since we've instituted that plan, our marriage has never been better. 22 years, better every year. And here's the deal, last thing on self-care. The Bible calls those who don't work lazy. The Bible calls those who don't rest disobedient. Disobedient. Self-care, Sabbath care are biblical commandments. God is not going to bless you if you're being disobedient. Being a follower of Jesus, being a leader for God is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So once again, have a sustainable schedule. Connect in community. Delegate your leadership. Disconnect. The story that God has for your life is captivating. It's awe-inspiring. It's amazing. It's greater than any Hollywood movie, even Top Gun Maverick. So I'll ask you this critical question as we close today. God has an incredible story for your life. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Can we pray together, church, with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heavenly Father, um, I know a message like this is going to land in a lot of different places for a lot of different people in the room. We've got middle school and high school students in here. We've got parents in here. We've got singles in here. We've got grandparents and great-grandparents in here. 
Father, I just pray today you, you would give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard from this incredible story of Elisha. And God, you would give us the courage to actually take action, to, to make a change if we need to make a change in our life, to make a course correction. For some of us in here, it's realizing that it's not about us. That we constantly just try to have control of everything and try to do everything. And we ignore the presence of God in our lives. And we're missing out. We're missing out on the greatest thing, that God is with us and his Holy Spirit can empower us and, and live in us and through us. God, help us to recognize your presence every day. For some of us, it's about changing our prayer life and that we need to, we need to start being able to pray big, bold, audacious, crazy, specific prayers that God, when, when you make them happen, that we can give the glory to only you. For others of us, maybe we're on the opposite end of the spectrum. We've just kind of let go and let God. And we, and we need to realize that, that being a leader for you takes work and it takes effort. That we need to have some skin in the game. We need to roll up our sleeves and say, God, where is it that you want to utilize me, my talents, my strengths, my abilities? Where can I plug in? What's my calling? What's the passion you've laid in my heart? What does my heart break for? God, use my life to change the world. I'm ready. You can have me, God. For some of us, it's, it's realizing that, you know, that, that we might know our mission and we might know our calling, but we also got to realize it's a marathon, not a sprint. And we got to realize we've got to practice some self-care. We've got to connect with other leaders. We've got to build a support group. We need community in our life that maybe it's lacking. Maybe we've been solo Christian for too long and we've prioritized other things instead of community. Maybe it's learning to delegate, releasing control and, and trusting some other people, even if it doesn't go perfect, to say, God, I, I want to utilize these other people you've placed in my life. Maybe it's learning to rest and disconnect, having an off switch, focusing on our health, how we eat, how we exercise, so we can be in it for the long run and we don't just crash and burn out, have our health fail us. That God, we wanna be in this in the long run for you. So wherever this message kind of landed for you, if you would say, yeah, God, there's an area that I need to take a next step. There's a correction that I need to make. God, will you help me to be able to do that, God? Because I really wanna step into the greater story that you have for me. God, please help me to do that. If that's you today, would you just lift a hand and say, yeah, that's me. I got a next step to take in one of those areas. Just lift it up high. And that's your prayer to God today. God, help me with that. Praise God. So many of our people this morning acknowledging that. God, I pray that you would just honor those decisions made this morning. People saying, I got a next step to take. God, would you just help them? Would you light the way? Would you clear the path? Would you reveal to them exactly what they need to do? Would you bring people in their life to help keep them accountable to take those steps, God? Would you honor those decisions? So we continue to pray. There might be somebody here this morning and maybe you're not a Christian. As you're thinking today, you're like, man, I never even realized this about God, that he, there's a God who loves me like that, that there's a God who has a greater story for me, that he has this incredible story for my life. And I've just trying to been going at it on my own. 
and I'm ready for a change today. Today I'm ready to say, God, I wanna move from the smaller story of me to the greater story of you and the story that you have for my life. Today I wanna transfer my faith off of myself and what I do, what I've done, my past, my history, my mistakes, my wrongs. I wanna move from that, I wanna move my faith onto Jesus. I want Jesus to be my Lord, my Savior. I believe he died for me so I can live for you, God. God, help me. I want to enter the bigger story of you. Will you help me take that step? I want to walk with you in this bigger story for the rest of my life into eternity. If that's you today, and you would be bold enough and brave enough to say, that's me, I'm ready for that step. I need God in my life. I want to be a part of his bigger story. Would you just be really bold right now? Would you just raise a hand and say, yeah, it's me. I want to be part of the bigger story of God. Praise God, I see that in the back. Praise God, I see another hand in the back. Anybody else this morning? I believe this is the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. Is there anybody else who's ready to step into the greater story that God has for them today? If you're watching at home right now and you just acknowledge that, I want you to know God saw it. For those of us here together who are followers of Christ, can we pray with a couple people who responded this morning? Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for being the God who loves us. Thanks for being the God who will meet us right where we're at. God, today I wanna to move my faith off of myself and my past and what I've done onto my Savior, Jesus, and what he's done for me. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross willingly to pay the price for all my sins. And I believe he rose from the grave. Today, I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. I wanna turn from my old life and step into a brand new life and a brand new story with you, God. Thanks again for loving me. Thanks again for meeting me right where I am. Help me to walk with you step by step, day by day, in a personal love relationship for the rest of my life into eternity. I love you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we celebrate some decisions? Praise God. Praise God. As the worship team leads us, can we stand together? Let's sing until you celebrate what God's doing. The altars are always open. If you need to come and pray and get some stuff right, just know that you can do that. You can pray right where you're at as well. But let's celebrate and sing.
to take in this morning. But as you're heading out uh, from the sanctuary today, I wanted to just let you know that we have something incredible to celebrate as well as 70 years of marriage for Fred and Pat Schussler. Fred is... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
this Tuesday is their 70th anniversary, so wish Fred and Pat a happy anniversary on your way out. Let's close in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, what a great day to, to celebrate so many good things, Lord. The fact that you are with us, the, the, the fact that we can worship you and be here, and, and we're so grateful for your goodness. We're so grateful for your presence. And as we've been reminded today, may we go out every single day this week remembering and contemplating the fact that um, you are with us just taking with us through our day the very presence and power and peace of Jesus Christ we thank you for this Lord and Lord we love you we praise you and I entrust this congregation to you and and also the work and witness team as they head out to Philly God go before them and go before us in Jesus name amen Amen. Have a great week, everyone. God bless. You've given me life. You've opened my eyes. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. You've entered my heart. You've set me apart.